Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles at All-American Nashville smile and she, she introduces herself, she shakes my hand, hey, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. The desire to love and to be loved in return is elemental to all human beings. And representatives of our species prove day in and day out that there are no limits to the lengths to which we will go in pursuit of that love. And today on the podcast, we have two stories about just that. Our tellers pursue love to the best of their abilities with hope in their hearts, but to varying results. Our first one comes from an event we hosted back in January of 2016, where our theme was, So There I Was, Stories That Begin, So There I Was. If you've been a listener to this podcast for any time at all, then you've heard the beginning of the story at the start of each episode, and now you can finally hear the rest. Here's storyteller Eunice Elliott. So there I was, thinking about what life choices I had made that had led me to this moment of standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. (laughs) So just to give you a little bit of background on me, um, I've always been known for making really good choices professionally. I worked at ESPN in Connecticut. I worked for the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. I moved to Miami, worked for the Orange Bowl Committee, worked for an agent in Atlanta. I was a publicist for professional athletes. I mean, I was a very impressively known type character. But somehow, in my romantic choices, I was also the one who had dated a homeless guy for three months before I figured it out, (laughs) you know? In my defense, he was a stylist and he told me he was on tour, so that's why he always had luggage when he came to my house. Oh, so y'all, oh, y'all would have known better. Okay, whatever. I'm also, um, I'm also the one who dated a car salesman who didn't have a car. But again, I was overwhelmingly known as a person who makes good choices and decisions. Give me a couple of mulligans here and there. So one day I had this bright idea in 2006 to leave my uh, professional pursuits in Atlanta and to move back to Alabama just to be a family member. Because as I've told you, I had these highlights of my life, but I just wanted to come home and be a family member. So part of coming home and being a family member meant I moved into my brother's spare bedroom in Hueytown, Alabama, which was a little different than Atlanta and Miami and Connecticut and Nashville and anything that you do on purpose. And um, (laughs) But hey, I was with my family and that was important to me. 
This is also around the time that I established a MySpace account. <laughs> so we know where this is going. And so I'm figuring out MySpace, and you're finding friends on MySpace. And so I connected with a gentleman who we just kind of start talking to each other on MySpace. And so he invited me out to meet him for a drink, and that sounded completely safe. This is pre-Craigslist killer, right? And, um, and so I met him at his favorite spot, which was Applebee's in Homewood. <laughs> now, here's the thing, here's the thing. So I've told you all these high-profile things I had done, and none of those situations that I had ever been in had led me to a great love. You know, I dated really high-profile people and celebrities and athletes and actors and coaches and financial advisors, but none of them worked out. So the fact that this guy that I met on MySpace invited me to Applebee's was, in that moment, refreshing. This is nice. So we met at Applebee's. He was taller than me, and so I thought, hey, this could be love. <laughs> you know, don't really require much. And so we sort of pursued a friendship, and then that kind of turned quickly into something more than a friendship, somewhat of a relationship. He became my moderate to intermediate significant other in a short amount of time. But keep in mind, the alternative to hanging out with him at Applebee's is hanging out in my brother's spare room in Hueytown, Alabama, which wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good as Applebee's, because they had, they had alcohol and appetizers. All right, so, you know, when you go into a relationship, you realize you're taking baggage with you and situations, and all of us, if we've ever tried to date, we suffer from some form of PTSD. And um, his seemed to have been, he was very quick to kind of just go off. You know, he had a very quick trigger. So we could be talking about something that really did not amount to much. And the next thing I would know, he was railing, like just screaming and just upset. And I'm not a person that does that. I don't like to argue. I don't like to fight. I would much rather just forget I ever met you and never see you again in life. <laughs> and I've been told that that's marriage. You got to just stay there, right? Okay. So <laughs> that's why I've never been married. I'm like, so I have to like him every day? So... Um, <laughs> Everything's not for everybody. So, um, so the first time this guy went crazy on me, you know, I kind of withdrew for a couple of days. And after a couple of days, I called him and I said, hey, you know, I'm not sure what you're used to, but I'm not really the kind of girl that wants to, rah, 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 rah. you know, it's not really my thing, you know? And he says, you know what, you're right. Me and my ex-girlfriend had this volatile relationship, so I'm just used to trying to defend myself and, and arguing. You're right, you did not do anything to deserve that. And I said, okay, good. So we, we've communicated about this. That's not my thing. I don't respond well to a man's voice at a certain pitch, right? I think a lot of that goes back to my father not being in my life, but let's keep this a light story, okay? <laughs> let's keep it light. So a few weeks go by, we kind of rekindle the magic of our moderate to intermediate romance at Applebee's, and um, <laughs> some other random thing comes up, and this guy goes off again. And this time I withdrew for a week. But again, I'm trying. I'm like, there's got to be something to this relationship thing that everybody else is figuring out. So if I've made this grand move to come back to Alabama, come back to Hueytown, I'm going to invest in this dude from MySpace. <laughs> it sounds weird telling it in hindsight, but you know, <laughs> that's really the only perfect science, right? All right, so after a week of not talking to him, I reached back out to him and I said, hey, so listen, 
I really don't respond well to that whole yelling and screaming thing. You remember that time I told you that? He's like, you're right. I'm so sorry. I said, well, let's just do this because, you know, let's just communicate. I said, let's do this. So if you ever, like, scream at me again, let's just say we have effectively broken up and we won't ever have to talk again, okay? <laughs> and he's like, well, what? I was like, yeah, let's just say right now, if you ever do it again, we'll just break up but that'll be the breakup. We won't talk about breaking up. That will be the breakup, okay? That'll be it. We'll be done that day, that moment, that second, okay? So he agreed. So I said, cool. I'm sure this won't happen again. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Magic City Classic. It's a huge, huge football game. And so in all these years that I had moved away, I had not been able to be here to attend the Magic City Classic. And so this is my first year back in Alabama. And so I said, wow, I want to go to the Magic City Classic. So I say to this guy, hey, do you want to go to the Magic City Classic? He said, sure. And just so happens one of my good girlfriends was going to tailgate, which is really the magic of the Magic City Classic <laughs> is the tailgating. And so she had gone in with some friends, her and her husband, and they had a tent they had purchased, and they had the, the space allotted, and they poured a party and a DJ and food and they invited us and I was like oh this is gonna be great not only am I invited to a place that has a porta potty but <laughs> I actually have a date because I'm chronically single and I actually have a date that's taller than me to come to this event <laughs> so um, along the way of getting to know this guy you know there were some things you know he wasn't like you know he was employed I don't know if it would be gainfully employed <laughs> All right, he had a job. Um, he didn't have a car, but you know what? I've had guys have had three cars that didn't like me, so that's not really a big deal. He didn't have a car. And um, he didn't have a cell phone, but listen, this the thing is, he, we could communicate on MySpace, and then the gas was off in his house, and he would warm up his bath water on a hot plate <laughs> in a pot. But you know what? I think what we should do, we should stay focused on this because I feel like you guys are judging me more than him. So this is about him and his bad choices, not mine right now. So anyway, I'm excited. I have a date going to the Magic City Classic. So the guy, he worked for um, Pepsi. That was his job. And his job was, um, I mean, it wasn't like in marketing or you know, sales. He was the guy that put the Pepsi on the shelves in the store. Okay, so I said to him, I said, hey, maybe when you're in one of your stores today, could you just grab some things for us to take to the tailgate? You know, maybe some chips, some soda, some bread, something like that. Because I don't know how it is, you know, in your world, but I have friends that if I show up and I eat things I didn't bring, they're like, hold up, how many plates she gonna fix? And I didn't want to have that happen. I wanted to come bearing gifts. So he brought, um, he brought um, two loaves of bread, he brought some plain potato chips and he brought some sodas. I don't remember, but I'm assuming they were Pepsis out of the back of the truck that he didn't actually pay for. All right, <laughs> so we go to the tailgate, we're eating, we're drinking, we're dancing to the DJ, we're peeing in the porta potty, we're just having a great time, right? We're having an amazing time. I'm like, this is a successful night for me. I have a date, I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm at the magazine, this is good. This is why I moved back home, okay? And so, the evening is ending, and guys, it's like so many people out here at this event, and so it's just people hanging out, and it's getting dark, and so it's like, we're tired, we've had a good time. Yeah, let's call it a night. Okay, great. So as we're walking away from the tailgate, we tell my friends goodbye, thanks for the invitation, had a great night. We're walking, um, I parked a couple of blocks away. And so we walk into my car, and he says, um, 
man, nobody really ate any of the stuff we brought. And I thought, wow, that's wildly unattractive. <laughs> I said, well, we ate stuff we didn't bring, so it all equals out, you know? So walk a few more steps. And he says, man, like, I don't even have bread at the house. I want to go back and get that bread. <laughs> And so in my mind, I'm thinking, what does a broke fool say for 600, Alex? That's what he says. I want to go back and get the bread. <laughs> so at this point, I'm like, wow, this is really happening. But we're still walking towards my car. He didn't go back towards the tent to get the bread. So I'm like, wow, well, okay, we'll just keep walking. So we're still walking, and then he says, I mean, nobody ate those chips. I was like, at this point, I had to say something. I said, look, you know what? I found my home in somebody's Doritos, so if somebody takes home those potato chips, it's fine. It equals out. It's all good. To which he replied, Doritos ain't chips. <laughs> I can accept you not having a car, a phone, no hot water in your home. I can accept you questioning, you know, your, your birth, maybe not even loving your mother, but Doritos ain't chips. What kind of idiot have I been kissing in the mouth? What, what, what is happening right now? Oh my gosh. So we're walking, and I really don't even think we're having a real conversation, but when he says Doritos ain't chips, I said, what? I said, yeah, Doritos are chips, they're tortilla chips. Says it on the bag, tortilla chips. <laughs> they're chips. So he says, no, they're not chips. And I said, Doritos are chips. We're still walking, but I don't think we're, and he says, no, when someone says chips, they mean plain potato chips. I said, no, when someone says chips, it means it's on the chip aisle. It might be. <laughs> Peanuts, popcorn, pretzels, Funyuns, Pringles, Cheetos. Pepsi is on the chip aisle, you should know this. <laughs> if it's on the chip aisle, it's a chip. Again, I really don't think we're having a real conversation. Walk a few more steps, the next thing I know, he starts cussing me out. I would say what he said, but I signed that paper to say they can play this on the radio and they got the FCC and all that, so. <laughs> I don't want to be bleeping out stuff. But anyway, he curses me out. He was 6'6", so he was flailing, and cursing me out. It was this really big scene. And so, and after he curses me out, he stumps off down the street, leaves me, and it's like dark outside, I'm walking, and of course, all these people are around, looking, around, like, oh my God, who is, and I looked around too, like, who was that? Who was, <laughs> did you see that guy? Who was he with? Oh gosh, what happened with him? What's happening? Who was that? Wow, weird. So as I'm walking a couple more blocks to my car, I said a little silent prayer and I said, well, baby Jesus, that was dramatic, but thank you for a way out. Because remember, that means we just broke up. <laughs> we just broke up at the Magic City Classic. So I walk a few more blocks to my car. I know I'll never see this person again. I'm so relieved. And then I get to my car, and he's standing at the passenger side of my car. And I had never been in a situation like this before, you know? I don't know how to handle somebody who's acting like this. So I get in my car, I crank up the car, I don't unlock his door, and I'm sitting there thinking, 
you know, what would Jesus do? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. So I sit there for a minute, and then I unlock the door, and he gets in the car. And he's still just kind of huffing and puffing, and I say, I'm sorry, were we talking about chips? <laughs> and he's just screaming, just take me home, just take me. And I said, I can't move the car. I don't know what's wrong with you. I, I can't drive with you acting like this. Are you drunk? Did you get stung by a bee? Like, what's, what's going on right now? And he's like, you don't always have to be right. Just let me be wrong. And I said, oh, this is about your childhood. Okay. Okay. This isn't even about me or these Doritos right now. So anyway, I told him I couldn't move the car. He gets out the car like he's, I guess he's going to walk home now. I don't know. So he's walking off. And then I remembered, oh, wait, wait, wait. And I opened the door and I said, hey, Joseph. Wait, I didn't check the room to make sure he ain't in here. <laughs> but I said, Joseph, um, and so he turns around because he thinks now I want to engage and have this big cussing out thing, like, you know, this drama thing he's used to. And I said, hey, let me get my phone, because I told y'all he didn't have a phone and I had let him borrow one of my phones. Again, don't judge me. This is about him. <laughs> I had two phones. Okay. And so he, he takes my phone and he throws it at me. And I'm like, oh my God. So, but he throws like a girl, so it hit the ground. Okay. <laughs> So I pick up the phone, I get in the car, and I kind of collect myself, and I'm watching him walk away. And if you ever seen like a nature film or something with like a baboon, and you know the baboon is walking, and all you see is just like the pink ass on this baboon. I just saw his, he was just showing his ass. And as he walked off, I thought, well, that's another relationship gone, another story I have to tell about how it didn't work out. But all I really, really was thinking was, please don't let him go back and get that bread. <laughs> Thank you. Eunice Elliott is a comedian, writer, actress, news anchor, and community activist. You can learn more about her at her website, EuniceWorld.com. Now, this next story comes from one of our favorite tellers. We featured him many times here on the podcast before, but you've never heard this particular story. It's from an event we hosted in March of last year where our theme was Rites of Passage, Coming of Age Stories. Here's storyteller Jonathan Owen. Thanks. So I grew up uh, on a steady diet of... Uh, Disney cartoons and fairy tales. Uh, and um, there is a part of all of these stories where uh, the protagonist starts out fairly insignificant and go on this journey, this quest, and kind of leads up to this moment of like proving themselves, kind of a, a rite of passage in a way into being a hero, you know, that they slay the dragon, they, they scale the castle wall and save the damsel in distress. And, and I remember growing up as a kid, I always kind of dreamt of these moments. You know, girls want to be, you know, the, the princess. And, I, you know, as a boy, it's like, you know, someday I get to be the prince. You know, I get to slay the dragon. And you just kind of wait for that moment where you get to kind of be the hero. Well, this moment had never really come for me. And then one summer, I was working at the camp, of which I'm the director at now. And one of the girls I was working with, I hit it off really well with. 
Uh, and over the course of the summer, we started to get to know each other, and I really started to kind of fall in love with her. Like, I, I knew her well enough to know that there were things that I wanted in a wife that she had. And I was really drawn to her, and at the end of the summer, she was about to go back to her school at Alabama, and, and I was staying where I was, and I knew that it, if I wanted anything to happen, I needed to, you know, I needed to make something happen. So I asked her out, and we started dating. Um, about a week into our relationship, I got to drive up to Coleman, about an hour north, uh, to meet her, her mom and her sisters and her nanny and her pawpaw, and they were all taken with me for my charm and my evident good looks. Um, <laughs> agree, right? Uh, and, uh, and it was wonderful. Uh, but I had not gotten to meet her father on this evening. Uh, and so uh, we went back, and he, he just wasn't there that night. And about a month later um, came an opportunity. I was invited to go up for the weekend and spend the weekend at their house. And her dad was going to be there. And I knew that this man was, you know, I needed to woo him as well, and I knew it was going to be a challenge because it was pretty evident to me that we were very different people. Uh, he was very uh, outdoorsy, and I'm really um, indoorsy. Is that a thing? Uh, he's like a, a carpenter and a woodworker and a builder, and he builds homes. And at the time, I was still spending birthday money on Legos. Uh, he enjoyed camping and like sleeping outdoors. And honestly, the last time I had slept outdoors was in front of a theater to buy a ticket for a Phantom Menace. So it was pretty evident that me and him did not have a lot in common. And there was a lot of work ahead of me. And I knew it. And I was willing to take it on because my love for this girl was growing. And in a way, I realized, all right, this is my dragon that needs to be slayed, right? This is the castle wall that I will scale. And at the top of this, you know, tower waits the, the damsel waiting for me. So we're driving up, and I'm getting nervous. Like, I've never had one of those, like, meet the parent moments. I'd seen the movie Meet the Parents, and it scared the crap out of me. I just knew that was going to be my scenario. And so we're, I'm getting nervous, and we, we, we drive up to his house, and, um, and it's the house my wife grew up in. And we, we go, and, and we walk into the front door and right into the living room, and he's there in his recliner in the living room by himself. And my girlfriend kind of nudges me, like, hey, this is your, this is your chance. And so I kind of... Here we go. You know, and I kind of walk on into the living room and I sit down on the, couch, on the couch next to his recliner and I say, hey, Mr. Montgomery, I'm Jonathan and it's great to meet you. And he said, yep. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to say after that. And so we didn't for an hour. And I sat in the living room next to him for an entire episode of CSI and no one said anything. And then my wife, or my, my girlfriend, came and rescued me, thankfully. And we spent the rest of the weekend, and I thought, well, that did not go well. Like, that was a strike. Like, I swung barely, and I was just, at, the first strike was done. And I was like, I, I, all right, I'm going to come back better, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to find out how to do this. So about two or three months later, uh, her family was going camping, which was kind of their big tradition. And I was invited to go along. And I'm a little nervous because, once again, he's got home court advantage because we're outdoors in the wilderness. Uh, and so we're in the middle of the woods. And, and I go up on a Friday afternoon with her. And we're there. And it's about 5 or 6 o'clock. The sun's setting. They're making the campfire. They're going to start cooking. And, and all of a sudden, someone realizes that they forgot the marshmallows. Well, I stand up and it's like, hey, I'd be happy to go get marshmallows, you know, proving to them that I can be a hunter-gatherer, if you will, right? 
And so I, I would be happy to go to the store, you know, and they, so, so they gave me directions. It's like 20 miles away because we're in the middle of nowhere. And so I drive and I'm, you know, I'm going to bring it back and show them that I can, you know, I can provide for my family, you know. And so we go, and I, I go to the convenience store and I'm looking everywhere and I'm seeing no marshmallows. And I can't come back empty handed. Like I can't, I mean, it's, it's taken me 20, 30 minutes to get here, three back. And I, just, I, I might as well just drive home. It's like, forget it. It didn't work. It was great. I'll call her and tell her, I'm sorry it didn't work at all. But I, and so all of a sudden I look on the very bottom shelf and in the very back, there is a single bag of marshmallows, not even the tiny ones. And I'm getting really, really excited. And I reach in and I grab it and I'm walking in and I look down and I realize that this bag of marshmallows is so old that it is formed into one single marshmallow. And I was like, I have, like, I don't know where I am. I don't have like a phone with like GP. I, I have no, op this is my only option. And I put it in the bag and I drive back and I give it to them. And they're like, oh, yay, what, what, why, why did you pick out these? And it's like, well, and I'm trying to explain what happened. And I'm feeling terrible. And I take my seat quietly by the fire. Um, and so I'm sitting there. Well, then I notice at the corner of my eye, my girlfriend's dad gets up and walks over to his truck, gets something and comes back. And when I look up, I realize he has thrown something at me. And I immediately flinch and then realize what he's thrown at me he lands in my lap. And it didn't hurt me, because I just assumed I was about to be impaled by something. And I look, and in my lap, he has thrown at me a saran-wrapped slice of chocolate cake. And I, I look at my girlfriend, and she kind of gives me a thumbs up, and it's like, like, I don't know how to take this, you know? Like, like if he had been a clown, he would, that means he loves me, you know what I'm saying? But he wasn't, and he threw this cake at me, and it's like, well, there's worse things he could have thrown at me. I'm going to take this one as, like, maybe it's not a hit. It's not a strike. I just fouled this one away. I'm still in the game. I'm still at bat, and I'm not out yet. So I haven't spent much time with him, but about four or five months later, it's in the spring, and they're going camping one more time. Now, I'm a little more familiar with being out in the woods and fire and, you know, not throwing plastic in the fire. It's a rookie mistake. Uh, anyway, we get back out there, and they're not just camping, but he's a kind of a scout master, and he's also a high school teacher and has high school kids that do this thing called Adventure Crew. And they were going to go rappelling at the campsite, because there's about a 50-foot rock, like, wall cliff at the campsite, and they were going to go repelling off of this. And I was a little nervous, because I knew that I was probably going to be with the group. You just, and I, I couldn't sit this one out. You know, I got to be in there. And so we climb up to the top, and he's kind of leading the way and showing everyone how to put the harness on. You know, you put it on this way, and, the, you know, you got the, the carabiner in the front, and he's got the rope around the tree. And, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at all these kids. I'm like, well, I'm going to sit back and just let it happen and see how it's working, and then finally feel good about it. And he says, Jonathan, why don't you go first? And I was like, this has been a trap. Like, he set me up for this. And so I sit there, and I, I put the rope through the, the harness, and, and I'm leaning back, and he's like, just don't look down. And I got you. And I was like, yeah, right. And so I lean back, and I slowly make my way down to the bottom. And like, and I, did, I did it. And like, I didn't cry. I didn't pass out. I did it. And I'm feeling like high-fiving people. And, you know, then like sixth grade kids start coming down after me. And I kind of get back up to the top. And I'm feeling pretty good because this is now my chance to prove to him that I'm, you know, man enough to, to have his daughter as my wife someday. Well, everyone's gone. And then he says, Jonathan, uh, how would you like to go Australian style? Now, I don't know what Australian style is, but I have friends who are from Australia. And if that is any indication of what this means, that means it is more dangerous and stupid. 
And if you're not Australian, I apologize. But if I know you well enough, you know that this is true, right? Um, and I said, well, what is that? He says, well, first of all, you're going to put the harness on backwards. And I was like, that's what you told us not to do. He's like, I know, but you're going to put it on backwards. And then uh, you're going to have the rope and the carabiner attached behind you. And you're going to walk face first down the mountain. And I was like, this can't be a real thing. Like, he's just messing with me. He's like, no, do it. And I was like, and I can't say no. I, what am I going to be like? I'm too scared. I, I, you know, because clearly this is a manly man and I'm just, you know, I'm a man, right? And so I, I start putting the harness on and it's not going up well because believe it or not, my rear end is in the back. Uh, and so when I'm putting a harness on designed for the human body in a reverse position, my body's not designed that way. And so I'm pulling it up and the front's going way up, the back's way down and I can't get it up high enough. He's like, I I got an idea. He takes the carabiner through my harness and th also loops it onto my belt. And so now I got the rope and this carabiner right be betwixt my biscuits, uh, if you will. <laughs> and, I, and I say, what do I do now? He's like, we're just going to go forward and you're going to go straight down and you're looking that way. I was like, you told me not to look down and now I just have a front row seat for this. He's like, you're going to be fine. And so I start kind of making my way over and I'm like, I'm feeling very afraid for, I think, understandable and reasonable reasons. And all of a sudden, I start feeling the harness going down a little bit, and I just have this vision of me falling out of the harness and out of my pants <laughs> and falling to my death, dying in front of the woman that I love with no pants on. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, Jonathan... This is for love. I didn't say it out loud. That would have been really, really lame to say. Uh, but I did it. And I'm, I'm making my way down, holding this rope. And I'm hearing people laugh. And I make it to the bottom. And it's like, yeah! You know, I'm so proud of myself. And I think I'm the only one. But I did. Well, things are going really well with my girlfriend. And then the day came where I, I, I bought a ring. And I set a date that I was going to propose to marry her. And there's really one final step in this process. I have the ring. I have the girl. I just want don't have one thing, and that is, I don't have permission, you know, and, and I'm thinking, this is like, this is the final test, right? This is the final chance for me to really prove myself. This is my, my coming of age moment, my rite of passage from, you know, nobody, you know, stable boy to, to, to knight in shining armor, and what lays ahead of me is this, this dragon, and don't tell him I said that, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Well, because he intimidated me, I had put off asking him for quite some time. And the way it was said is that Sunday I was going to propose to my girlfriend. She was going back to school on Monday. And so Sunday was really the last time to do it. And I had put it off and it was Thursday. And I had Friday and then Saturday and I'm proposing on Sunday. And I've put it off to Saturday morning. I can't do it any other time. So Saturday, I called him. I said, can I come and talk to you on Saturday? And he's like, sure. And I'm like, this is going to be a wonderful conversation. Uh, and so I, I, I get there, and, and I, 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 I go to bed Friday night nervously. At 2 in the morning, I wake up, and I am throwing up uncontrollably. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I can't postpone this. I can't be like, I'll talk to him next week. Because then I would have already done it. Like, I can't do it, right? You don't get the trophy unless you finish the game. You know what I'm saying? And so I wake up at 8 in the morning. I'm supposed to drive and meet him at 9. And I don't, I can barely stand. And I was like, I, I have no choice. Like, I have to do this. So I take a trash can with me. I put it, and I seat belt it in the seat next to me. I get in the car, and I'm now driving an hour north. 
to ask this man if I can marry his daughter, doing everything I can to keep my insides on the inside. Well, when I drive up, I see that he is outside in his yard and he's working on his truck. And I start sweating because it's the beginning of August and it just happens to be the hottest day of the summer. It's over 100 degrees. And I know that we're about to have this conversation outside in the sun. And I'm thinking, this is not, this is not going to go well. So I get out of the car and I walk over to him and he's, he's working on his truck and he kind of knows why I'm there. And I'm, he's talking to me and we're having this conversation and 30 minutes goes by. We've become a lot more comfortable with me in the last year, apparently. And he's talking to me for about 30, 30 minutes and all of a sudden my vision starts going blurry and everything starts turning white. And I realize that one of two things is inevitably about to happen. Option A I'm going to pass out on the ground in front of him. Like, I know that my, I've never passed out, but I know this is what it must feel like. I'm getting dizzy, lightheaded, my vision is blurry. The other option is that I'm going to vomit right here in front of him. And neither one of those speaks well of me, right? May I marry your daughter, and I'm passed out on the ground. Or may I marry your daughter as I throw up on your feet. And I knew one of these two things would happen, and they're beyond my control. And before I can really process this, I am now vomiting in front of him. However, I have come this far. I have hung off the side of a mountain in two different directions, and I am not going to fail on this last part. So while I'm throwing up, I realize that I really have two options here. None of them are good, but they're options. I could throw up on the ground in front of him, or I could catch it in my mouth. And I caught it in my mouth. (laughs) Played it off like a cough. And now I'm faced with a whole new set of options. (laughs) Option one, I could spit said vomit onto the ground in front of him, which was really just a delayed vomit, really. (laughs) Or option B, yeah, I swallowed it. Yeah. And... If I felt bad before, I'm feeling terrible now, but I, am, I can see the finish line, and I am scraping, and I am climbing, and, and I'm just almost at the end, and finally he's like, all right, listen, the, the conversation was quickly wrapping up, probably because he thought I was losing interest, but I was losing other things, um, and he said, listen, I'm about to leave, I got to go meet someone, and I was like, do you mind if I use your restroom? just for a moment. Uh, He didn't know exactly what I had in mind for the restroom, but he said, sure, um, just go ahead and go into the house, and I got to leave. I'll see you later. I was like, this has been great talking with you. And so I go into the the house through the living room where we had our first conversation, and I walk, and I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm walking as fast as I can without giving myself away. And so I go into the hallway around the corner, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Jonathan. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I lean my head around the corner. He says, hey, can you do me a favor? And I think, "Uh uh-oh, Round two, I lean back, throw up again, catch it again, send it back down. This thing's getting a couple round trips on me. And I lean my head around and I said, yes. And he said, I got to leave. Can you lock the door when you leave? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he leaves and I go into the bathroom and I just spend a few moments in there finishing unfinished business. I, I drove home that night, and the next day I, I, I proposed uh, to my girlfriend, and she said yes. And five months later, I married her. I, you know, I, I, 
I didn't slay a dragon. I, I didn't scale a castle wall. But I swallowed my vomit for love. <laughs> and does that make me a hero? Yeah, it does, actually. Thank you very much. Jonathan Owen is a children's minister and the director of Camp Straight Street. You can find him on Twitter or Instagram at the Jaywoo. That's the J-A-W-O-O, the Jaywoo. If you want to hear more of our stories, obviously subscribe to this podcast, even share it with a friend. Sharing is caring after all, but also make plans to join us for one of our live events. We actually have another one coming up here in just a couple of weeks on February 10th at the Avon Theater in Birmingham, Alabama. Our theme is going to be Two to Tango, Stories About Love. So if you've enjoyed the stories today, you're going to love this event. You can get all the info and your tickets at our website, arcstories.com. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Arc Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director, Taylor Robinson. Preston Lovingood composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Betsy Lee, Audra Whaley, Aaron Moon, Leonard Lee Smith, Ryan Whaley, Jamie Golden, and Nate Dreger for making this episode possible. If you like our show, please rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to us. So I want to say a special thank you to Cookie509Ace for your recent review. You can leave one of your own just by going to arcstories.com slash apple. And while you're there, be sure to look around the rest of arcstories.com. You can listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with all of our events and everything else we have going on. And you can even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story?